One of the greatest weapons that Satan uses against the church, <clears throat> what would you think it would be? Most people would indicate that sin is Satan's greatest weapon because the word speaks of these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All existing sin falls under one of these three categories. <clears throat> For example, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent tempted Eve. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw that the fruit was good, lust of the eyes, that she could become like God, pride of life, that the fruit was good, it would make one wise, an appeal to her flesh. In the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in those gospels, same three issues, lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, pride of life. <clears throat> Satan says to Jesus, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. It's 350 feet high. Lust of the eyes. You're not going to get hurt. God's given his angels charge over you. Hmm. Satan appealed to Jesus' pride. He said, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I will make you king of the world. Satan said, command the stones to be made bread. You're hungry. Eat bread. Lust of the flesh. So anything you're dealing with that comes in the form of a temptation, it's intended to cause you to fail, that temptation will fall into one of these three categories. However, exploring the greatest weapon that Satan uses against the believer, it's not the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. In most of our churches, you're going to find people who live consistently Christian living, Christian lives. They're tempted as any are, but they've learned to resist the temptation. They've learned how to live an overcoming life. People who pray regularly. They live lives that are pleasing to God. They lead others to Jesus. They are givers. They serve. However, no matter how strong the believer is, how well they track through the temptations, all of them have suffered at the hand of the enemy using this weapon. Pastors have been damaged by this satanic weapon. Member after member has suffered at the hand of this weapon. You can't touch the person morally. There are people at Calvary Christian Center so into God, they walk in the favor of the Lord, they walk pleasing to God, and would not do anything willfully to displease the Lord. You desire the favor of God more than the favor of man. Because when you've done the favor of God, listen, more gets done in five minutes with the favor of God than in five years with man's attention. It's true in the business world. It's true spiritually. I'd rather have the favor of God than the favor of man. So most followers of Jesus would not commit adultery and damage their marriage covenant. You're committed to your companion. Most of you will not lie. You'll tell the truth. Even if you're handling cash from your employer, you would not steal it. You fear God. You respect your employer. I have a motivation for serving God. I love the Lord. And I'm committed to doing His will. And I don't want to go to hell. Most here today don't want to go to hell. And knowing hell exists... You do all that God asks so you don't go down that road toward hell. You have motivation. 
My observation of the most effective weapon Satan uses against believers, it's kept more people from going back to church on any given Sunday than any other weapon. In some cases, it's made people into what we heard yesterday in our men's breakfast. It's made them into vagabond Christians. (laughs) It's caused a multitude of people in our community every Sunday morning to roll over in bed and have no interest in being in God's house or being with God's people, or in roaming around from one place to the next where they can't put down roots any longer, eventually with no root system, they die. Are you ready? It's the wound. It's the wound. And there are three types of wounds. There are physical wounds one encounters in life, a car accident, surgical error, playing sports, Wounded in action, you observe our great military personnel. They have lost sometimes more than one limb. Watch them as they reemerge. They learn to compensate, and they learn to run on a prosthesis. They compete in sporting events, and even though some still in wheelchairs, yet they are still mobile. They go anywhere they choose. People have learned to recover from physical wounds. Then there are emotional wounds. These can come from a family member, a friend, or a trauma that you've endured. And there are spiritual wounds. Some of those can occur right in the house of God. And wounds can be divided into these three categories, physical, emotional, or spiritual. And the greatest damage that Satan can do to a believer is wound a person's spirit. And Jesus speaks to it, and the Word of God speaks to it. The words of a tailbearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Somebody carries information about you to do you harm and pours it into somebody else, and it comes back. Listen, the watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. It's it's easier to take down a walled city than to win a wounded man. It's very difficult for most people to recover from being hurt or wounded by somebody they love. You don't have the natural ability to overcome that wound. How does the scripture define that? Well, in the Hebrew language, the word wound means to crush, to smash, to dash, to split the soul, to have a divided soul. One half of you wants to do right. The other half of you is offended. One half of you wants to correct the situation. The other half wants nothing to do with it. Wounds will tear at your emotions. Wounds come in two ways, words and actions. Whoever wrote the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, wrong. That person must have been hard of hearing. Let me tell you, words will hurt you. When growing up, if you heard your father or your parents say to you, you're an idiot, or... You'll never amount to anything, or you're a loser, or you're going to end up like your father in prison. All these negative words take root as seeds in your spirit. And you'll live into your 40s, and then you'll have some post-traumatic stress. A small incident brings back the memory. A sound brings it back. A building, a person who looks familiar, or a voice. 
And those seeds you thought were washed away by the floodwaters of the Holy Spirit reemerge and they sprout into fruit. Those memories come flooding back in. Because words can be dangerous. They can bring life. They can kill. Watch. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Actions can be dangerous and deadly. A man in ministry was telling us the story. Pastor Pat's been teaching it to the older teens on Wednesday night. I slipped in the several different departments Wednesday night coming back from a business meeting I was conducting on behalf of our district. So I wandered around, checked you all out. But the pastor was telling us a story, and this relates in a timely fashion to the culture we now live in. He pastored a small town for a period of time, a very rural little town in the Midwest. And he said there was a great deal of immorality in that town. It just seemed like it flourished in this very tiny community and was even bled into the church world and the culture of the church. And nobody wanted to address it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And because no one did, no one challenged it, it continued to grow. And he said uh, there was a teenage boy involved with immorality in our community, and the word came back because it affected people in our church. And he started to secretly meet with some young ladies while their parents were out of town. And that boy one day invited another teenage boy to come with him to watch the show. And the younger boy was told, just watch through the hole in the wall of the barn while you observe what I'm doing with this young lady. That memory, by the way, parents, once you start letting that happen because you're not paying attention to where your children are and who they're with, you are opening a door. And here's what happened. That memory so burned into his mind that years later, when it reemerged, that man became addicted to pornography. And that led to all kinds of dysfunction in all of his future relationships. Because actions plant seeds the same way words plant seeds. So what's true about actions and words, if they're not dealt with, you might go 10 years or even 20 years in life and never be impacted, but one trigger surfaces the memory. When I smell cut grass, my mind goes back to my childhood being taken out into the farm of my cousin and, and, and smelling the fresh cut grass or mowing the lawn. I don't know why that happens. It just takes me back. When I smell certain foods, I'm back in my mother's kitchen. <laughs> Songs are unique like that. I might not remember a message I preached seven years ago, but what's that? You can hear a song and you'll remember where you were when you heard it the first time. Some of you cannot listen to certain songs because it reminds you of an ex. <laughs> Some songs trigger great emotional reactions. I don't understand the complexities of the neurons in the human brain or in the human spirit that through recall of a song, such stirring of emotional memories can take place. But I know Bill Gaither can do that just right. When is Bill Gaither going to run out of songs? 
I mean, he's always got a brand new CD or DV he's hawking on the air. I know when he gets to heaven, he's going to have an HD camera with him videoing the seraphim singing, holy, 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 what Gaither tapped into, memories. The president of Coca-Cola was asked, what's the secret of popularity of your product, Coke? And he answered, memories. He said, we create a commercial of a boy in a ball game eating a hot dog and drinking a Coke. Memories. A commercial of a boy fishing with his father, drinking Coke. So they've created an association of fun, good memories, recreation with Coca-Cola. And he said, our marketing was not the taste of Coke. We started to realize it was all about making memories. People wanted a red can of Coca-Cola, classic Coke they grew up with. So let me, let me help you comprehend how wounds work. The moment someone hurt you, offended you, wounded you, it's powerful because it's retained in the memory bank of your mind. Just like a song can recall a good memory, a place you were in life, if something negative happened to you, when that song was a hit, it creates a bad memory. So wounds are placed in the memory bank, and they're the most difficult issues to get over. Naturally, nearly impossible. Why? Because wounds affect something that is very deep in you, your emotions. Because your body, soul, and spirit. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's God's intent that you walk into the presence of Jesus one day without any of this stuff hanging on you. And some things that affect your physical body, they will not affect your spirit. And some things that affect your spirit will not necessarily affect your physical body. But those wounds that affect your emotions can affect the soul, the body, and the spirit. Wounds affect all three. That's why wounds are so powerful and what a tool they are of the enemy against us. When you have a terrible argument and your adrenaline's all pumped, after the argument ends, you feel totally wiped out. You don't feel like talking to anybody. You'll shut yourself down because wounds affect emotions. You might even get in your car and just drive to clear your head. Psychiatrists tell us that many people operate up to two-thirds of their lives on pure emotion and one-third on anything else, logic, reason, two-thirds of emotion. And let me tell you something. Emotions change all over the place. You can't go by your feelings in life. You can't be led by feeling. Some of the things feelings will tell you are perceptions. They are not realities. But for some people, those perceptions become their reality. And some people think their emotions are just a little piece of the pie. They're not. For many people, emotions rule everything. For example, you're at a game, your favorite team. You followed them all your life. They're playing. And they score. And you sit there with your arms folded thinking, that was great. Everybody else is standing and cheering and clapping and hollering. They just won the playoff game. There's no expressed emotion related to that circumstance. Or you attend a funeral. The spouse displays great emotion. People think, wow, she really loved him. Look at how she's weeping. 
But if that same spouse were to walk in, says to her friends, I'll have a new car in just a few days. I had a huge policy on him. Everyone would think, wow, she didn't love or respect that guy. So what I'm saying is we have certain expectations of people as to how they display their emotions. For instance, what would you think if you spent $100 to go to a game? That you're kind of all in, right? There'd be some level of excitement if you invested in that. And so when we come to the pulpit and we come to the platform and we're singing and ministering under the anointing, preaching under the anointing, the worship team with Pastor Michael leading worship under the anointing, but someone sits there with a blank stare. Every once in a while you see somebody like that. The assumption they're not here mentally or they've got a problem in their spirit. But it may not have anything to do with God or the service itself. Maybe they're in physical pain. No one knows the physical challenges that some people have to endure. And so one might wrongly assume the person has a problem with what we're doing, but it's not with what we're doing. They just have some physical challenges and they're having some agony right now. So what the enemy does to us, his most effective weapon to wound a person. And once the person has been wounded in their emotions, all kinds of stuff starts happening. And let me kind of give you a little idea of what that looks like. Once you start getting wounded in your emotions, what's happening? Sprung a leak. It's leaking. And the more wounds this takes, the bigger the leak becomes. I'm going to put it in here because in just a few moments, that entire bag will have eked out all the liquid in it. Everything starts leaking out when there's a wound. It's a hole in the soul. And when you've been wounded or hurt with words or actions, it punches a hole in the soul. When you have a hole in the soul, watch this, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. What happens? Everything the Holy Spirit attempts to pour into you begins to leak out. When you do receive some joy, it doesn't last long because you keep referring back to your emotional hurt and you feel the pain again. When the Holy Spirit tries to give you peace so you can sleep at night, that peace leaks out, that joy leaks out because God gives his beloved rest or sleep. You don't rest because the imagery of that person who wounded you or the actions are replayed over again in your mind. And the goal of your enemy to bring a verbal, emotional wound into your spirit. In reading the Proverbs, you'll find how difficult it is for humanly a person to recover from a wound emotionally. And if you don't receive healing for your wound and you allow the emotional aspects of your being to control the wound, it leads to what we call an offense. And Jesus warned us that in the last days, offenses would come, Matthew 24, and then many will be offended. Many. He's talking to the church. And many know this from studying with us in our men's breakfast, Bait of Satan, 
The Greek word for offense is scandalon. Boy, this is, yesterday was such a dynamic teaching. And the root of that word is, is bait. Scandalon is the bait that's placed on a trap or at the end of a stick in order to entice someone to come and take it. And the minute they take it, they're trapped. The bait entices the prey into the trap and then triggers the trap. So a scandalon can also be a stumbling block that's placed in front of someone. So while they're journeying, they trip and they fall and they're injured. If the enemy cannot get you to commit sin or to break a commandment of the Lord, watch this. Here's the enemy's plan for the follower of Jesus to have you get offended at somebody in the body of Christ. That's his, that's his trap. To become offended at a pastor, at a spiritual leader, at a brother or sister, at a teacher, at a departmental leader, to see you offended, cause you a wound, so you walk away and you'll make a statement like this. I'll never listen to another pastor again. Or you'll bounce from one place to the next, trying to find another church where you can find perfection. Have fun. Back in the 80s, there were scandals in the body of Christ. Some people said, I'm never going back to church again, because if he can't serve God, there's no way I can serve God. And many lost confidence in ministries because of it. And some stopped giving, some stopped attending. And I know I was traveling and speaking at the time. Services became even more difficult to find because pastors were pulling back. They were very skeptical, skeptical of having anyone come to their pulpit because there was such scandal in the news media. Have any of you ever seen a counterfeit $100 bill? Any of you ever seen one? Ever come across one? Any of you? Yeah, of course. If you happen to come across one, do you throw out the rest of your money with it? You found a $100 bill that was counterfeit, and you said to your wife, take my money and throw it all in the trash. It's all fake. Have you ever taken in your car for a repair, and the mechanic repairing it was the lemon? Okay. And you paid for it, and you discovered he overcharged you for stuff you didn't need to have repaired. Do you refuse to drive your car again? Do you never repair your vehicle again whenever it breaks down? You never buy another car because you had a bad experience with a dealer? When you're sick, you happen to get a doctor who's more interested in operating so he can keep his lifestyle where he wants it. So you never go back to a doctor again. You stay sick because one doctor put you on 16 medications and you reacted negatively and now you'll never go see another doctor again, right? You discover you don't need all those meds, but another doctor really helps you and gets you where you need to be. So did you quit getting help because somebody didn't treat you the right way? May I suggest to you that no human is perfect? Neither is any Christian perfect. We have weaknesses. Some in ministry have fallen away. Some have had to step out of ministry. That's why I appreciate a fellowship that holds us to accountability. But just because you were disappointed, and it might be a real disappointment, and it might be a perceived disappointment, Something your emotions took you to that have, has no f- basis in fact. Judas fell away. The other 11 might have said, we're never going to make it. 
our treasurer has betrayed Jesus, then he went out and committed suicide. When word gets around, we're done. <laughs> Peter then denies Jesus. Thomas doubts Jesus' resurrection. One's cussing, one commits suicide, and one doesn't believe Jesus rose. The other nine are hiding with, with doors and windows locked for fear they're going to get killed. Now watch. They did not quit because Judas caved to the devil. They didn't quit because Peter stumbled. They didn't quit because Thomas doubted. Now watch. You will be wounded. You will not traverse the Christian walk without being wounded. Someone will wound you. You will be disappointed. But do not allow a Judas goat who comes in among the sheep to disrupt your walk with God. Because the rest of the sheep continue to walk with Jesus. Don't let one goat tear you up. Stand up. Put your armor on. Get back into the battle. You determine no one will distract me from the kingdom. And then there's this big offense. Wound. There are too many hypocrites in the church. Quit talking about yourself like that. Okay. No. No. They're just followers of Jesus on a journey attempting to live in victory. You're not a hypocrite when you're struggling. Okay. If you allow a wound to become an offense, here's the danger. It becomes a scandal. A trap. And the devil will make it a trap. And you will be caught in it. And here's you. Nobody loves me. Don't trust that church. They hurt me. And here's where it always ends up. Satan will see to it. If he traps you in this offense, you will end up with a strange spirit attached to you. It's called a spirit of hopelessness. And if you abide in your wounds and let that offense trap you, watch. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope here means an expectation of a good outcome. And you can't see the outcome. You've not experienced the outcome. But hope is to anticipate that which you are in, the circumstance you're in, is changeable. It will become changeable. That's what hope believes. It will change. Think how everything in creation is subject to the word of God. Jesus walked on water. He commanded the winds and the waves to be at peace with a word. Jesus took two fish and five loaves and broke the bread and broke the fish and multiplied it and fed over 5,000 men. Jesus spoke to a fig tree that had plenty of leaves on it but bore not one fruit. The next day, the tree was dead from the roots up. Jesus took an amputated ear of a priest from the temple and restored it to the man's head perfectly well. Joshua speaks, and the earth's rotation ceases for a period, so a battle can be won. Hear this. Everything God created is subject to the word that God speaks. Do you know what that means? Your wound is subject to the word of God. Your offense is subject to the word of God. The hopelessness the devil stirs in you is subject to the word of God. The problem you're about to lie down with in your emotions, all it takes is one touch of hope 
from the word of God, one touch of faith from God, and you awaken tomorrow morning with a healed soul. The wound will not be there tomorrow because Jesus heals the brokenhearted. So the reason a wound is effective is because it makes us feel like a failure. Listen to David. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God. Oh boy. What is he telling us? David said, my friend turned on me. That's going to happen. You're going to experience that. And the reason the wound affects you, it would never affect you unless you believe that now you're a failure because you've had this moment. The enemy plays the failure card, making you think you're nothing. Nobody cares. They've abandoned you. They won't talk to you. They've walked away from you that you're a hypocrite and that you can't take it, and the wound produces an offense, a trap. The offense produces a scandal and trap, and the trap depresses you because you feel hopeless. The root of it, Satan wants you to feel like a failure, and failure is a perception. It's a perception. And here's why it's a perception. The great poet, Carl Sandburg, he flunked English at West Point. His words are published all over the world. He couldn't pass English. Albert Einstein didn't talk until he was three years old. He's a genius. Einstein failed his first college entrance exam. Einstein never learned how to drive a car. Once Einstein was given a $500 check, he used it as a bookmark and then lost the book. A genius. Yeah. Movie star Clark Gable failed his first screen test because his ears were too big. Became a phenomenal star. Henry Ford really only wanted to sell wristwatches. Instead, he invented the automobile. In his first automobile, he failed to put a reverse gear in the car. So when you parked it in your driveway, you had to get two guys out to push it out into the street so you could drive it. Edison failed 1,000 times to invent the light bulb. When he was told, you failed 1,000 times, he said, no, I succeeded once. Thomas Jefferson suffered such severe migraines, it took him 18 days to pen the Declaration of Independence. Edgar Allan Poe took 10 years to write the story, The Raven. He received $10 for that book. He was so poor, he ate dandelions during one period of his life to survive, and then was expelled from West Point in 1831. 1831, out. His books are known worldwide, by the way. And if you had that $10 first edition of The Raven... Check and see what that might be worth today. Some would consider all these people failures. One man tried and failed all of his life to, to succeed. Different careers. And none of them ever got any traction. So finally, he makes it to retirement. Files for his social security. Sat back. He got bored. And one of the things he liked to do in his life, he liked to cook. 
So this retiree concocted a recipe for chicken. Someone tasted the chicken and said, you need to open a restaurant. And then he started deep frying that chicken at a roadside restaurant. And everybody would stop and wanted some of that chicken. Word got around. Other restaurant owners went to him and said, hey, can we start buying some of your chicken to sell in our restaurants? So he marketed it himself. Before long, after failing at everything and finally coming to retirement with nothing, Colonel Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken, became a multimillionaire. In a revival meeting in Louisville, Kentucky, Pastor Wayne Rogers was speaking, and Colonel Sanders showed up for church. At the altar, Colonel Sanders said to the pastor, I can't talk without cussing. He said, I, I can't put a sentence together without cursing. Can God touch a man's lips where he won't cuss? And Pastor Rogers said, not only can he touch a man where he won't cuss, he'll touch him and turn his life around and save his eternal soul. Well, Sanders was born again. He was baptized in water. He was delivered from his foul language. Most would have considered Sanders a failure. But when he got to the end and he found his place of gifting, what he loved doing, the wounds were healed, and his restaurants are worldwide. The enemy intimidates you, saying, you are a failure. Don't get born again. All you do is fall back. You'll never be free from drugs. You're trapped, because the enemy will put you in a trap, wounded, offended, and trapped, abused verbally or physically or sexually, wounded. And then they start taking drugs or using alcohol to try to forget the problems. And the spirit of hopelessness comes. And hope delayed makes the soul sick. And that's why, ladies, from our crisis center, overseen by Teen Challenge, you're in the right place at the center and in this church because there's hope of a new life being put back in your spirit. And whatever happened in the past that wounded you is behind you. And your best days are still ahead of you. And you have new hope again. The gospel restores hope. And here are a couple of verses for somebody today. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. In Isaiah 42, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring to justice all who have been wrong. He will bring justice to all who have been wrong. Jesus put it like this in Matthew's gospel. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Along the Jordan River's banks, there are reeds that grow. And for many, many years, little peddlers would come and harvest them. And they would take them, and then they, out of those reeds that were very stiff, they would form little flutes, reed flutes. And then they, they hawk them wherever they can find people coming to the Jordan and see if you can get somebody to buy one. And you can play it. It actually plays like a little flute. Sounds are good. 
But if they find one that's been dented in the process of making it into a flute, they'll just toss it away. It's useless. Or a wick that draws olive oil and then is lit to give light into a room. If you don't trim that wick, it'll produce, produce soot. And then they'll just take the wick out and toss it away. But listen to what God says. He says, I will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. When you're bruised and you're wounded, God will not throw you away. When you've had a light burning and it starts to grow dim and dark, when others say, you're useless now, God says, when you burn out, don't worry. I'm not going to throw you away. I'll give you fresh oil. I will restore you. David, while in the middle of burnout, cried this out, I've been anointed with fresh oil. Thank you, Lord. Stand together and give thanks to the Lord. God's given all of us hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Though we've got dents and breaks and bruises and wounds and our wick has not produced light any longer, it's full of soot. Thank you, Father. You're not going to throw us away. Thank you. If you allow that wound to fester, it'll trap you. The enemy will spring the trap. And he will hold you right where you are for the rest of your life. You'll get used to carrying that wound around and that baggage. It'll become your new norm. And he'll add another one and another one and another one until you can hardly move. But that'll be your norm. At least you know what to expect every day. Or you can live liberated and free. You get to choose. Now, naturally, you don't have the ability to fix this. Jesus is the healer of the broken heart. He binds up your wounds. And if you've been struggling because you have been wounded, eyes are closed, you've been wounded, lift your hands. Lift your hands. And say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. This day I praise you as your glory fills this house and your presence fills my soul even now forevermore your name be praised Father you see these with honest hearts who lift their hands there's nobody in this room who hasn't been wounded if we allow it we'll take the bait we'll start complaining we'll start they hurt me they wounded me and the minute you begin to speak that the enemy springs the trap because you took the bait and once you're trapped 
humanly, you don't get out. Only he, the Lord, can set you free. So, Father, you see these hands. You see their hearts. Thank you for those that are honest here today. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And as Jesus binds up your wounds today, I declare you healed in Jesus' name. You're not a failure. You're destined by God for purpose. And you will be released from the trap of your adversary. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless him, people. Thank him, people. Praise him, people.